0: You're listening to Wrestling and More's podcast, Ring, Rope, Roundup, with your host, Rob Goodwin. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, follow us on Twitter at, at @wampodcastUK, Podcast UK, or give us a like on Facebook to keep updated with all new content. If it's wrestling you want, keep it at Wrestling and More. Hello, 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 and welcome to wrestling and more's newly revamped podcast ring Road roundup we're on itunes people it only took me six and a half months to find out how i put the bloody thing up but we are up there uh it kept telling me the artwork wouldn't work don't know why lost my temper with it uh but eventually uh i found out it was something extremely simple and we're on itunes how cool is that hopefully there to stay um But yeah, a lot has gone on in the last couple of weeks. Um, We've got the Twitter page sorted, we've got the YouTube page sort of sorted, and we've got the Facebook page sorted as well. So if you want to check us out on any of those, I'll leave the links in the description. But today, on the 29th of June, we are looking at our first retro pay-per-view. Now, what better way to start than with one of the most iconic matches in WWE history, and I am of course talking about that. Hell in a Cell match between The Undertaker and Mick Foley from King of the Ring 1998. It also happens that uh, this is just under 20 years. Uh, in fact, it's 19 years yesterday uh, that the pay-per-view happened, so what better time to do it? Now, i watched watch this pay-per-view all the way through, obviously, and we're going to review it now. Just a little bit of a scheduling thing. We're going to try and make... Um, the content more scheduled to kind of maximise what you get to listen to Um, on a Friday uh, we're going to put up our retro reviews where we look at old pay-per-views and review them you guys we will take all of your um, all of your ideas into account please tell us, please Uh, we'd love to see more wrestling pay-per-views we'd love to know your opinions on them so if you've got any ideas, leave them in the YouTube comments below, or if you're listening to i uh, listening to us on iTunes, talk to us on um, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. It doesn't really matter. On a Sunday, we will have um, our WCW Nitro Universe mode going up, and in the week, then we will have hopefully on a Wednesday night, we will have a Ring of Honor roundup that will be done in podcast form as well. So you should, in theory, be getting two podcasts a week. ...and some Universe Mode content as well. Um, I'd love to do more, but I just simply cannot. But, with this in mind, we are going straight on... ...to WWF King of the Ring... ...from Pittsburgh Civic Centre in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Of course, this is the most famous King of the Ring pay-per-view... ...in history, not because of its overarching quality... ...but because of that match. Um, A little bit of background, WWF, as it was at the time... ...had finally overtaken WCW in the ratings war and this was where again we we see the mr mcmahon character develop even more than he already was after um after the montreal screw drop um the opening video package was really good uh, it only focused on the joint main event which uh, as you'll find out through this through this review there's a reason for that um and it was it was a really good opening video package. Mick Foley sounded outstanding and heartfelt as described what he was going to do to Undertaker. And it just made you realise just how good, especially the early incarnations of Mankind and Mick Foley were. His promo skills were absolutely fantastic. We have a lovely recap of Kane's ridiculous first sentence, which is, If I don't win, I'll set myself on fire. That's that's extreme. Um, slightly, o- slightly overreaction, really. Um, but as soon as Kane said that, I thought it was, you know, spoilers. Hopefully you're not listening to this and, you know, you're thinking of seeing the pay-per-view and not spoiling anything for you, but he was obviously going to win. <laughs> he was always going to win. They weren't going to light someone on fire properly on a pay-per-view, were they? But, again, good match. We'll, we'll go on to that. But with it being, you know, the first Hell in a Cell match, um, and with there being quite high possibility that a man was going to be set on fire. Um, it's quite apocalyptic music. Quite fittingly, I thought. However, as soon as the video package ended, you had the happiest jingle in the world for Super Soakers, the sponsor of the pay-per-view. And it was such a jarring... It was such jarringly different music that it just it made it completely funny, which is, I'm sure, what the WWF weren't aiming for. But honestly, it just it completely negated just how good the opening video package was, which was a shame really. Um, something else I noticed was um, as the Pyro went off, as it does nowadays, the sets were a lot smaller, weren't they? Um when you look at where the wrestlers were entering from, there wasn't a Titan Tron. Um, you know, there wasn't all the the pomp and circumstance that you get nowadays with uh, wrestlers' entrances. And, I don't know, it made it feel a lot more gritty and dirty, which obviously is what the Attitude Era was all about. Obviously, they were in a war with WCW, and that was what it was all about. And I liked that. I liked the fact that in those days, not every set looked the same. And I think that's something that WWE really, really struggles to do now. Um, Because every single set, whether it be SmackDown pay-per-view or Raw pay-per-view, they all look the same, which kind of ruins it for me. Um, yeah, a shot of Lola and Ross who were on commentary. Two tanks of gasoline next to them. That's imposing. Um, apparently, it's fantastic, Lola says, that we are going to have a man potentially set himself on fire. I disagree. Quite largely. Because I don't want to see a man set on fire on my TV screen. Um, but again, really hyping it up. Um, sold out, and the crowd were electric. And that's something that kind of goes throughout the pay-per-view. The crowd were absolutely on fire throughout. And you just don't get that nowadays. You get, you know, the odd match that draws a reaction out of the crowd. But so many pay-per-views, they're such a flat reaction. Look at Money in the Bank 2017. There was no reaction from the crowd at all, really. Which is a shame cause it's a... You know, well, it wasn't a good pay-per-view, actually, was it? But, you know... You've paid money. You want to go and see wrestling. And these people were on... I understand that wrestling was at the peak of its popularity at this point. I do understand that. But even so, you'd want... You'd want something more nowadays. Anyway, off point. First match, the Headbangers with Takamishinoku versus Kai and Tai with Mr Yamaguchi. This is what uh, JR referred to as the first of two bonus matches... Now, if it's a bonus match, that tells us instantly that it is going to be shit. Which you don't want to hear off the bat. I mean, admittedly, it's the headbangers, so they can literally only perform a certain amount. I don't think they were ever masters of wrestling technical prowess, but never mind. A um, couple of notes. Mishinoku looked absolutely hilarious dressed as a headbanger. <laughs> Completely against what he, was, uh, what he usually wore, but there you go. And then he moshed in the ring, which was both hilarious and terrifying at the same time I think he scared the headbangers Um, but literally no one cared about them, they entered the ring and there was no pop at all and this is for a crowd that were electric throughout the match no one cared about them which was a shame Um, Kai and Tai then came out Uh, they're Japanese therefore they must be heels, Uh, anyone foreign must be a heel which is in no way racist at all Um, but you know it was, it was a match. <laughs> There's no real way of... Elaborating on this. Not not a lot happened. Um, there was some hilarious selling by Fanaki... And the rest of Kai and tai. Um, Taka was the main highlight about the match. As you would expect. Um, there was a really cool no-hand dive to the outside. That was really cool. Um, Dick Togo from Kai and tai seemed to be able to wrestle. He seemed fairly solid. Um, but... The match kind of wound towards its conclusion as Taka Mishinoku tagged in both the headbangers now I'm not sure that's possible or legal but that's what he did Um, the headbangers then cleaned uh, cleaned house and Taka wins the match eventually with a Mishinoku driver it's it's an okay match there's nothing to write home about really it's 4 out of 10 for wrestling and morph on this match again nothing to write home about And within the next 30 seconds, everyone had forgotten about it because Sable came out. And boobs. Boobs, boobs, and boobs. And she has a massive ovation for her boobs and is seemingly in the ring only to show people her boobs. Um, Because the only thing she said is to introduce Vince McMahon. Now, that is a waste of talent. Now, I'm not saying Sable was fantastic on the mic. She definitely wasn't. Um, But... Why on earth she was put into the ring? I've got no idea whether it's just to get people to say, "Oh, Sable's here. No idea. Also, completely different side of JR when you hear him on commentary say, I know people who would marry her dog just to be part of her family. What, JR? What? Who says that? Even Lawler was stunned at that, and Lawler is a fiend. What does that even mean? But... It was said, and um, McMahon with Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe came down. Um, they've got amazing heel heat um, already. Fantastic heel heat. Um, massive Steve Austin chance, which again is exactly how a crowd should be cheering the um, cheering the babyface, booing the heel. Not like Smarks nowadays. Um, Pat Patterson then decides to follow Sable out f- towards the ring and patter gently on the bottom, which then results in. Quite a savage slap from Sable, to to be perfectly honest. Um, Though, this does result in quite a hilarious comment, again from JR, who seemed to be on top form tonight. Um, He then said he's touching an area in which he's not familiar. Now, I disagree with that. Now, for those who don't know, Pat Patterson is gay. Nothing wrong with that at all. Completely commend him. Nothing at all wrong with that. But... To say he's not familiar with a bum is ridiculous. <laughs> it's just, it just, it was such a jarring thing to come out of Jr's mouth that everyone was like, "Oh, are you allowed to say that?" I mean, it's funny, but can I laugh? Um, but you know, I just, I don't really understand why this entire segment was here. This entire promo. Vince McMahon just ran down the crowd for being disappointments to their parents. Um, just pointless heel bits, really, just to try and hype up the match between Austin and Kane for the World Championship later on. Again, no real point to it being here. But we then move on to the first of the King of the Ring semifinals between uh, Jeff Jarrett, Double J, with Tennessee Lee versus Ken Shamrock. I'm going to take a minute here and explain to you that Ken Shamrock is a face. Now, if you've never seen a photo of Ken Shamrock, Google him and tell me how on earth that terrifying specimen is a face but he was um, Jeff Jarrett does a really good heel uh, does really good heel work Um, as he was being introduced by Tennessee Lee he seemed to be engulfed by the pyro um, and understandably you know his voice shakes during it um, as it would do if you're just about to be engulfed by pyro but it is without a doubt the most annoying intro music I've ever heard uh, Jeff Jarrett's it's like the the most generic country twaddle that you could possibly imagine and that was Jeff Jarrett's theme tune it was awful just awful Ken Shamrock comes out though massive pop again still not entirely sure how he's uh, how his face but um, this match was this match was good there was a lot of storytelling um Jeff Jarrett um, targeted Shamrock's ankle uh, which had been targeted by the nation of domination and Owen Hart um, and both Jeff and Tennessee Lee tried to target this. Um, but again, the thing that they kept the commentary team kept saying of Laura and Ross was, is Ken Shamrock going to keep his temper? Now, if you are a face, you keep your temper. There's There's no issue with your temper. If you are a man on the edge, Shamrock was constantly billed to be. How can you be a face? Again, probably just me, but that's what I thought. Uh, Shamrock's all over uh, Jeff Jarrett to begin with, slamming into the barricades and ring steps. Um, One interesting thought, there was a a spot where they were both in the corner, and the ref pulled Jeff Jarrett away by his hair. Again, not entirely sure that's allowed. Um, But again, there's... Lots of bits and bobs. Um, Jarrett starts to try to target the ankle. Whenever the ref's distracted, Tennessee Lee hits the ankle. Um, but eventually, Ken Shamrock wins with, uh, wins with a hurricane run into the ankle lock, and then belly to belly's t- uh, Tennessee Lee, just just for good measure. Um, five out of ten. Okay match. Nothing special, but it's uh, a lot more solid than the terrible promo and the headbangers match that came before it. It was also better than the next match, which is the second semi-final, which is Dan Seven versus The Rock with the Nation of Domination. Um, This was really interesting for me because this was just as The Rock, just as The Rock was coming out of his we-hate-rocky-die-rocky-die phase into the global phenomenon that he actually was. Um, He was the IC champion at the time, but he came out and there was not a massive pop. Now, if you listen to anything from 1999 onwards... Uh, the Rock gets an enormous pop. He he is the man. I mean, hell, the the man has a show named after him in SmackDown. But n- there was a bit of noise. But throughout this and the final match, there is a lot of negative chance towards the Rock. He handles it really well, but it's ju- it's ju- it's so weird. It's so weird as a wrestling fan to hear the Rock, the most electrifying man in sports entertainment. Booed and chanted out, and you suck and die chants. Um, there was the odd die chance. I'm glad though. I'm glad they died out. Pun intended. Um, but um, Dan Seven comes out, looks legitimately terrifying. Uh, he's obviously got MMA experience. Um, they played a lot. Of the commentary team on uh, Seven beating two members of the Nation of Domination to get there, and also how he tore the pectoral muscle off D'Lo Brown. Uh, they showed. Uh, that the replay of this, it was quite graphic. Um, he was in a hold, and Seven yanked his arm back, and the scream. Well played, D'Lo Brown, because I was convinced he pulled the pectoral muscle off. It was it was quite quite painful to watch. But as for this match, it was it was really really slow paced. There were lots and lots of rest holds. The Rock spends most of his time holding the rope. Which is built by as smart by Jr. and Lawler, but um again, very, very plodding match. there's no real pace to it, and whereas at least the Shamrock and Jarrett store uh, match had a story, this didn't really have a story, it just seemed to be a match they'd thrown together. They didn't seem to there were, there were no real spots to speak of. Uh, the nation of domination distract the ref um as the end of the match comes dilo brown now sporting his chest protector which obviously he was known for uh, in his later days he comes out frog splashes uh, onto dan 7 and rock picks up the w- uh, picks up the win altogether though just a really really clunky match um i'm i'm going to give it 3 out of 10 um completely forgettable um Two things, though, after the match. and They replayed Delo Brown's Frog Splash, which actually is really nice. I quite like Delo Br- uh, Brown's Frog Splash. I also love the fact that he tries to get over the gate, and is it's possibly the most clumsy thing I've ever seen in my life. As he tries to escape over the barricade, it's like a giraffe on ice. It's brilliant. If you haven't seen it, watch it, because it's the most unbelievably clunky way of getting over something I've ever seen him have. It's, he half jumps, half climbs, uh, catches his feet on it, and it's just its not very seamless at all. Um, but the post-match promo that The Rock gave after his victory to interview bot, in fact, it was Michael Cole. It was Michael Cole, I apologise. Um, was really good. You had the startings of that really charismatic Rock, which everyone's obviously used to nowadays. I, you know, I really like that, so hopefully that'll lead us into a bit of a better pay-per-view, because at the moment, this has been extremely slow. Oh, but no. No, 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 no. This match. Al Snow versus Too Much. This match got a video package. The other matches haven't had a video package. Why on earth did this get a video package? Basically, I think the whole point of this is because Al Snow wanted to get into the building to talk to Vince, couldn't talk to Vince, so Lola helped him get in. But then they fell out, and I'm not entirely sure why. And to be honest, the video package confused me more than if they hadn't, if they'd just not given me the video package. Um, basically, the only thing you need to know from this is that Al Snow and Heather over plays the gimmick wholeheartedly props to him um, Christopher Daniels and um, the future Scotty Two Hotty Scott Taylor come out arrogant heels just proper douchebags which is their character um, and then who do we find out as the special guest referee but oh it's Jerry the King Lawler none other than Christopher Daniels' dad um, so there you go there you go. Um, again, not a massive lot to talk about. Lawler produces some of the slowest counts in the history of the world. Um, the future Grandmaster Sexe spits at head. Um, Lawler goes all hell ref to help his son all the way through. Quickest counts in the world for too much, as you would expect. Um, brilliant part as the brawl goes to the outside of the ring and they're running up the ramp. I you see a Kane is Isaac Yankum sign, which I thought was nice. Um, the only other bit that is worth mentioning is when Alcino reaches for a tag-off head, which I found genuinely funny. Um, then we have the finish. Now, WWF, as they were then, I understand that they're trying to be creative. I really do, and I do appreciate it. Occasionally. But this... Right, so head was effectively the legal man. Don't forget, head is a mannequin's head. That was the legal man in a tag match. You can't pin head because it's a head. So Grandmaster Sex a, being all clever and ting, decides to get Head and Shoulders, the shampoo, insert it into the place where head's neck should be, and then pins. A mannequin head with a shampoo neck. And the match stood. Al Snow lost on a pay-per-view because the future Grandmaster Sexay pinned a mannequin head with shampoo in the neck because head and shoulders, and you pin the shoulders to the mat. You know when people ask you, about wrestling, and you go, no, wrestling's really cool about the storylines and the storytelling and the athleticism, don't ever show them this match don't don't ever try and get someone into wrestling by showing them this match, or this ending because they'll laugh at you They, they will laugh at you and they probably will never talk to you again which is reasonable the less said about this match, the better 2 out of 10, completely pointless However, we then did have our first decent match. Um, X-Pac with China versus Owen Hart. A little bit of a spoiler, not the last time we're going to see China. Um, Both men cost each other places in the King of the Ring tournament, so this is why this match is now set up. Um, X-Pac is a face and Owen Hart is a heel in this match. Just remember that. Uh, X-Pac comes down to the ring, is just all too damn excitable. There's a lot of tong going on. There's a lot of crotch chopping. Uh, It's very easy to see why he irritated people very, very quickly. Um, He is like that puppy that just will not be trained. Um, He's okay to start off with, but then you're like, I've made a massive, massive mistake here. Um, So, remember I said X-Pac was a face and Owen Hart was a heel? This pay-per-view was in June 1998. In 1997, November 1997, was the Montreal Screwjob, in which Shawn Michaels and Vince McMahon screwed Bret Hart out of the title. Yet in this, DX are the faces and Erwin Hart is the heel. Wrestling. Anyway, um, x Pack. I'm going to do a shout out now to him. He sells everything like a million dollars. He's brilliant. He's like the 1998 Dolph Ziggler. Well, he's not, but that kind of thing. His selling is on point. That bloke must be exhausted after his matches, and this wasn't even a long match. Um, Owen Art dominates to start off with some real vicious whips into the corner. Um, you know, some stiff clotheslines, some big strikes. Uh, eventually the action takes to the outside and x is whipped into the timekeeper's area where he does a fantastic sell. Looks legitimately painful. Then he's front suplexed onto the Spanish announce table. Again, which doesn't break, only the casing breaks. The table doesn't break, which makes me think, that must have hurt him severely. Um, we then got X-Pac's typical face like, come on, his comeback!" back. Um, Irish Whip's Owen Hart. And uh, hits him with an X Factor, which is completely no sold by both Owen Hart and the commentary team. Now I don't know if X-f- if the X Factor was his finisher at that point, um, but it was just called an interesting move by Jr. And Owen Hart got up straight away. In fact, I think he got up before X Pac. So <laughs> what? Um, they build the Bronco Buster. Which he broke out about 30 seconds later. They build that up more. And I'm sorry if that was considered his finisher. What the actual hell. Again. I don't know what it is. With the WWF and finishes. In the Attitude Era. It's just it was a massively overbooked ending. Mark Henry of the Nation of Domination. Comes down. And. um, For some strange reason. Splashes X-Pac. Now Mark Henry, I say, runs down. Bless him! It's the slowest jog in the world, and it is the lamest, just wettest splash ever. It was just, it was really slow and really dopey. No idea why Mark Henry was uh, was there. I mean, I know Owen Hart was affiliated with the Nation of Domination, but I mean, Mark Henry really. Then Vader comes out, Big Van Vader, um, who attempts to attack Mark Henry. And that loses all its credibility when Mark, when Vader bounces off the world's strongest man and falls to his ass. Um, in this point, whilst these two are comedically fighting on the outside, we miss the finish of the match because China comes into the ring. DDTs Owen Hart, who's got X Pac in the sharpshooter, and X Pac gets the win as he rolls over and puts his arm on Owen Hart again, we miss that because we're focusing on Vader and Mark Henry Cameraman, do your job your job is to focus on the action in ring on Owen Hart and X-Pac ignore Vader, ignore Mark Henry they had nothing to do with the match why are they there? but again, we miss it luckily, the replay does show us quite a good DDT from China in fairness to it, um, yeah, x wins fine Um, good match 5 out of 10 but again just overbooked ridiculous ending there's just I've got no idea why that ending was even a thing but there you go next we have a Paul Bearer promo why 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 do we have people coming to the ring to do promos this is the second promo to build the Kane and Stone Cold Steve Austin match and it goes on about hating the Undertaker Which is fine. But Kane is... But... But Kane's fighting against Stone Cold. So why is the promo about The Undertaker? Now I understand that The Undertaker attacked Paul Bearer in his house. Which, you know, fair enough, I can understand that. But surely leave that to the Raw after King of the Ring. Surely that will make more sense. Because on this pay-per-view... There's no need for it. Kane and Undertaker aren't fighting. If they were fighting, perfect, but they're not. They're on two separate matches. There's there's just no need at all. Um, Talks about his beating at the hands of the Undertaker. They show a little bit of a video package. Then refers to Kane as his son, which he did. So is Undertaker his son as well, or are they half-brothers? I'm pretty sure that was pretty murky. um, Because they were brothers when they were a tag team... But I think they were half-brothers to start off with. I'm really confused. Um, so does that mean Paul Bearer slept with Undertaker's mum? Or was Kane adopted? I mean, to be honest, this promo raised more questions than it answered, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, we, we learned that Kane wants to be like the Undertaker um, because he couldn't play Little League because of the scars and the fact that the sun burnt his scars. Um, I mean, I loved Paul Bearer back in the day. He was fantastic. But this promo, again, similar to the Vince McMahon one, was completely and utterly pointless. As was the next match, and again, I feel like I'm shitting on this pay per view, and to a certain extent, I am, because obviously this ma- this pay per view is lauded as you know the most famous King of the Ring pay per view in WWF history, and I was hoping beyond hope that it wasn't just because of the mankind spots. And I've got a horrible feeling, as as this match started, I genuinely had that thought of, it's just going to be that match, isn't it? Because none of these matches have captured the imagination at all. I mean, the x Paco in Hart match was really good. Well, it was, it was good, it wasn't really good, it was 5 out of 10. But, I mean, now we've got the second of the bonus matches, and obviously that means it's going to be crap, because it's a bonus match. Well, the New Age Outlaws, who are the current tag team champions, come out with China. Clearly, the Pull Bearer promo was just to give China enough time to put on a DX hat. Um, you know, basically, the best thing about this is that, um, is that Road Dog's really charismatic. That's literally the only decent thing about this. Um, they come down to the ring. Um, Cannot believe how much Enzo and Cass have actually tried to rip off the New Age Outlaws. Um, I'm amazed gimmick infringement hasn't been mentioned uh, by the New Age Outlaws, unless the Road Dog physically gave them the gimmick. That's fine, but honestly, I was watching this going, this is just like the 1998 Enzo and Cass. This is this is ridiculous. To, the, to even to the point where you've got the big guy doing the last bit of the words. What? Um, then... The, min- the new Midnight Express come down with Jim Cornette to the quietest reception in the history of the world. Um, Bob Hollywood, with the world's best hair is now called Bombastic Bob. And we've got Bodacious Bart. Oh, God. Um, they are the current NWA tag title holders, but the NWA title is not on the line. It's just the WWF Tag Team Championships. Now, you knew as the... Midnight Express came down that they weren't leaving with the titles because no one gave a solitary shit about this team at all. Um I mean a st- standard tag team action to start off with, no thrills, really quite dull. And it got to the point where even Road Dog couldn't carry it. Uh Road Dog took the majority of the offense, the offense with Midnight Express providing tag team moves. To no fanfare whatsoever, despite what JR and uh, Lawler were trying their best to get across. The only interesting part in this entire segment was the stare down between ex-smoking gun members and brothers Bart and Billy. Um, Road Dog comes back in, takes a spanking. Um, Holly stands above him, uh, does the suck it, kind of crotch chop to which Billy Gunn obviously takes a takes uh, takes issue, bulldogs him, um, then eventually um, Road Dog gets the hot tag. Billy comes in, Cornet hits him with a belt, and Gun kicks out at two. Cornet then tries to come in and tries to hit Billy Gun with a belt again, but Billy Gun stops him by looking at him, and Cornet's obviously psyching himself up with this belt, and then China low blows him, and. <laughs> Cornett sells the absolute shit out of it. It is brilliant. He gets hit in the bollocks and he goes down like he has been polaxed. It is amazing. Um the outlaws win though via a pinfall after a double hot shot. I really wanted to give this three out of ten, but I'm very, very aware that I have given a lot of three out of tens already on this pay-per-view, so I'm gonna give it four out of ten simply because it's standard tag team match. Nothing went wrong, but it was boring so boring and something that really did hurt me was the fact that this was the longest match on the card thus far and it was supposed to be a bonus but it wasn't supposed to be on the card and I'll be perfectly honest if it if this had been the end of the pay-per-view it would have been up there with one of the worst pay-per-views ever I mean there, were, there was no real redeeming features of the pay-per-view so far Now, obviously, it gets better. You've got the three remaining matches, which are obviously quite good, but the mid-card and the lower (laughs) mid-card, terrible. Anyway, this was followed by the King of the Ring final um, between Ken Shamrock and The Rock. Triple H, who's the current European champion and the last King of the Ring champion, he won the uh, tournament in 1997, comes down to provide colour commentary Again, accompanied by China. Jesus Christ, that girl has been busy. Um, Shamrock comes down first. Um, Sorry, The Rock comes down first. He gets welcomed with kind of lukewarm heat. Um, Not really much to say. Um, Shamrock comes down. Again, incredibly scary dude. Um, And the point of Triple H providing colour commentary is obviously to build on the rivalry between Trips and The Rock uh, from Wrestlemania and from of course the Royal Rumble Um, I think the commentary from Triple H in China actually made this a bit more enjoyable than it should have been Um, China joins the Spanish commentary team uh, to which Triple H translates you know, JR asks him so what's what's she saying? "I, I honestly do think she's speaking flawless Spanish Well, someone please do correct me but it looked it looked proper Spanish Um, but Trips says oh it's something about Taco Bell Uh, and then JR says are you not bilingual to which he says um, there's a lot of things bi about me but lingual isn't one of them Um, um, moving back to the match uh, The Rock spends a lot of time running away from Shamrock as you would again he's a scary dude Um, he decides that Triple H is a safer option and I must admit I agree, and the two stand off with Triple H saying, do you want some, and then spits water in his face. Shamrock then, clearly incensed at being ignored, uh, then wipes the floor with The Rock, absolutely destroys the poor bloke, amidst chants of Rocky sucks, Rocky sucks. Not a good time to be a abramable. Eventually they get back into the ring, The Rock... um, Kind of gets his second wind, hits a swinging neck breaker, two massive DDTs, including the tornado DDT, which looked really good, and a people's elbow in quickest succession, but all to really, really close two counts. Um, all of the t- all while this is going on, Triple H takes a couple of stabs at WCW, explaining that WWF is about what you have in the ring, not about how much you kiss ass. Which, you know, that was a a clear stab at WCW. Um, And as the action returns into the ring again once more, we have another series of ridiculous near falls. Um, The Rock takes issue with the final one, has a go at the ref, is standing on top of Ken Shamrock, who traps The Rock into an ankle lock, and eventually The Rock taps. Um, No more is said from Triple H in China. They leave, The Rock leaves, and Ken Shamrock is left to celebrate his uh, King of the Ring Victory, which is ace. I'm really happy for Ken Shamrock that he won that. The only thing is he... He didn't really do anything after that, did he? Um, And The Rock became... uh, God knows how many... World... World champion. Uh, So, you can argue who won and who lost in this and who came out better or worse. But... That was the end of King of the Ring. Ken Shamrock is your 1998 King of the Ring winner. Then, of course, we had the infamous Hell in a Cell match. The match I was really looking forward to seeing. uh, Because I've never seen all the way through. I've seen, obviously, the spots. But I was looking forward to seeing it. Um, Both men come down, you know, receiving really, really good pops. Mankind instantly climbs the cell. uh, Undertaker goes right after him. What a way to start. um, To you know, go on the top. Mankind delivers some chair shots, um, but eventually Undertaker fights back. He then throws Mankind off the hell in the cell. Um, and even though you know it's coming, even though you know Mick Foley's going to be fine, and even though JR's calls of my god, my god, he's dead. He's killed him. And you know he's fine. It's still savage as it looks brutal. That poor bloke. What he put himself through. For people's entertainment. Was ridiculous. Understandably. WWE. Um, like Personnel. Uh, Terry Funk came out to check on him. Um, because at that point. There was genuine concern. He might have been dead. Um, then they start raising the cage. With Undertaker still on it. For some reason. Um, then they need to stretch fully out Um, Undertaker climbs down as Mankind's leaving Um, but Mankind then clearly not clearly not bothered about what he'd done to his own body then decided no 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 I'm going to go back after Undertaker what why would you do that why would you do this so he goes back after uh, Undertaker so he climbs back up the cage obviously not content with doing things in the ring, you know, after having just an 18-foot drop where everyone thought he died, they then fight on the top once more, and you can see the cage sagging. Now, there are stories coming out that originally it was uh, it was rigged so that one of the corners came out so that Ro- Foley could roll through it and could land properly, but whoever was in charge of it had obviously listened to it too much because as soon as Undertaker delivered a choke slam, Foley falls, and when he hits the mat, it is it's sickening. I mean, I know he's fine, but that is, that's hard to watch when he hits the ground, um, and it, oh, horrendous, absolutely horrendous, but he gets up, again, this man is completely impossible to put down, um, they climb down into the ring, things start getting hardcore, Uh, Terry Funk comes down, Undertaker batters him. Uh, You get that lovely image of Mankind with a tooth stuck up his nostril. Um, And then Undertaker just destroys him. Undertaker just destroys Mankind. Also worth noting that despite all the injuries that Mankind sustained in this match, Undertaker did the entire thing with a broken foot. Good grief, wrestlers are hard. I struggle to run when my toenail hurts. Genuinely, I went for a run and had to stop because my toenail... Like, my toenail... I've got an ingrown toenail. It's not just my toenail. Um, it was that it hurt that much. I couldn't run. Undertaker did a hell on a cell match. Climbed a cell twice with a broken, damn foot. Oh, it's made, it, oh, it just makes me feel less of a man. Erm... Um, Mankind eventually gets a second wind, does a pulling pile driver onto a chair, but Undertaker kicks out for a near fall. Um, Undertaker's now busted open from out of nowhere. Uh, Mankind goes outside to get the bag of thumbtacks, puts the thumbtacks down, but um, Undertaker chokeslams him into the thumbtacks, gets the pin after a tombstone, and the match is over. Oh good grief. They put man take Mankind to the back, which is a good thing. Um, because the man might legitimately die Um, the stories that have come from backstage, Vince was furious that Mankind had put himself through such hell basically Um, he asked um, eventually when he came round Mankind he asked the Undertaker did we use the thumbtacks and Undertaker just said mate look at your arm and they were all still in his arm Um, that a lot of wrestlers say that they ache after a match Mankind must have been on absolute fire. He must have been in absolute agony the next day. Um, But... As a wrestling match... It wasn't actually that good. It really wasn't. I mean... These wrestlers put themselves to hell. And I do appreciate that, obviously. And I'm not... I don't... You know, it's not like I want a... You know, an Akadar Omega style match from these two. I mean... McFoley's fantastic and he's a lot of things, but a technical wrestler who's able to perform the aerial prowess of people like a Cardinamega. He is not. But as you know, a story it's one of a kind. So many things that I've read have said you will never see anything like this again. And wrestling is suffering because of it. You will never see things that hardcore without it being farcical. Again, because of this match, Foley legitimately put his body and his life on the line for entertainment that night, and I have nothing but respect for that. I can't, you know, and that's why I'm giving the match eight out of ten. Even if it's not a pure wrestling spectacle, the fact that it's such it's such a hard hitting match, you've just got to give it a high score. And fair play to the Undertaker because he. Again, wrestling the entire match with a broken foot. He's obviously worried about Mick Foley because Mick Foley is a nutcase. And it's just, it's such a good performance from both characters um, that, yeah, I think it is a real, I think it is a good match. I think it is a good match. And then we get our main event, which is for the WWF Championship match. Um, It's for, it's between Stone Cold Steve Austin and Kane. Uh, Who comes to the ring with Paul Bearer? It is a first blood match. First thing I noticed when I started watching this, Kane wears red and a mask. Going to be really difficult to find out if he's bleeding, isn't it? The commentary team even point out that he wears one red sleeve usually. However, this match he's got two red sleeves on. How are you going to tell if he's bleeding? I'm not asking Kane to take his mask off I bet the referee isn't either Um, but Austin starts red hearts. as you would expect it, Steve Austin absolutely destroys and wails away on Kane Um, the cell then begins to lower after being risen after the last match again, no reason for this whatsoever but the two competitors use it really really well And there's a spot where Kane holds Austin underneath the lowering cage trying to crush him underneath that then as it raises again, uh, Austin drapes Kane on the door and it lifts him up. But eventually Austin knocks him off. But again, that was really good. They fight everywhere. They fight in the entrance. They fight in the aisle. They fight on the outside. Eventually they make it down uh, back into the ring. Mankind, what are you doing on your feet, McFoley? Foley? Get back to a hospital bed. Um, he comes in um, with a chair and then Austin beats the hell out of him. Cell lowers again for some reason. He then hits Kane and Mankind with stunners. Undertaker comes to the ring now. Again, seriously, do we do we? Stop overbooking things. Um, he comes out with a chair. He goes to hit Mankind who ducks, and uh, the Undertaker hits Austin. Um, then Undertaker and Mankind brawl, um, and Austin is eventually busted open. Um, Undertaker then pulls gasoline on a referee. I I don't understand why that's there at all. Um, Austin then hits Kane with a thunderous, an absolutely thunderous chair shot to the head. And I'm sorry, but if Kane is not busted open from that chair shot, I don't know what is going to bust him open. But of course, the referee sees that Austin is busted open. Kane, it's impossible to tell if he's busted open. And Austin... Uh, they call for the bell, and Kane wins your new WWF champion. Kane, his only WWF championship reign, which is criminal. Um, this was the epitome of the Attitude Era. It was hardcore, there was blood, there was hard hitting. Uh, Steve Austin was brilliant. It was less of a match than with, than an all-out brawl. Um, they used everything, even the cage that was lowering. I don't know if that was planned. Um, but if it wasn't then that is excellent excellent uh, improvisation by the two of them, the two had really good chemistry Um, it was rarely boring, unlike most of the other matches on this pay-per-view I mean, I'm still not a massive fan of the interference, I know it's the Attitude Era, most uh, Attitude Era main events have interference but I was just, I was not I was not a fan of it I don't think Mankind should have been on his feet for medical reasons, never mind interfering in a match where he's being hit with a chair again. Um, but I don't really understand, like the Undertaker pouring gasoline on the referee. I don't really see what the point of that was. But it was, you know, it was a good program, I suppose. I suppose, and it um, helped set up Undertaker and Austin for the summer uh, going on uh, towards the end of nineteen ninety-eight. I'm going to give this match seven out of ten. I don't think it was as memorable as Undertaker Mankind, obviously. But it was still a really good match. Um, Kane, I thought, was really good. Austin was brilliant, as usual. He's the master of the brawl. Um, But overall, King of the Ring 1998. I'm going to give it... 6 out of 10. And on my notes, I've got written 5... Um but I think that does a disservice to the two main events. If it wasn't for these two main events, even with the final of the King of the Ring tournament, this pay-per-view would have been appalling. Uh, the matches were boring, there was no build, they got video packages for the wrong matches. Um in my opinion. I just I d I wasn't invested at all. And I'm sure I would have been if I'd have watched the Raws previous, but I just I wasn't invested in it at all. Um the two main events, it's certainly apparent and certainly very clear why they were the only two matches that were billed in the video package at the start of the pay per view. Um, I just thought because they were, <laughs> they were the best matches by an absolute mile. They got superpower in them. You know, they got superstar power. They got draw in them. And when you look at the undercard, when you've got. The Midnight Express versus the New Age Outlaws and Al Snow versus Too Much. There's no comparison. So I'm going to give it six because the Mankind and Undertaker match was brilliant, even if it was a spot fest. And the Kane and Austin match was very entertaining. It wasn't boring at any point. So that's my overall prediction of our first, sorry, our overall reaction of our first pay per view. Um, our first retro pay per view, King of the Ring, 1998, six out of ten. Are there any pay per views that you would like to see us do again? Are there any pay per views that you think that we should watch from another promotion? For example, WCW, ECW, TNA, Ring of Honor. What would you like to What would you like us to review next? I'm going to give you some options for the next one, and then well, I'll put it on the Twitter page, and you can check it out as well. Um, the ones that we want to um, the options we're going to give you are Battleground 2013. Backlash 2007 and Canadian Stampede 1997. Talk to us on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube. Tell us which ones you want us to do. If there's any others you want us to do, make a list, send it over. We'll be more than happy to take requests. Thank you for listening, guys, and we will talk to you again soon.